I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Hallelujah, I'm ready. I can hear the voices singing soft and low. Hallelujah, I'm ready. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. In the darkness of night, not a star was in sight on the highway that leads down below. But Jesus came in and saved us all from sin. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, two songs at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And uh, this is a special two-part episode where I'm going to be covering two different songs by Bob Dylan, covers that Bob Dylan has performed, both with uh, religious themes. Uh, later on, we're going to be talking about the this, this song, Thank God. But first up, I said we're going to be talking about Hallelujah, I'm Ready to Go with my pal, Steve Givens. Hi, Steve. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going great. I, I'm very uh, honored that you would do the show because let's, let's, let's state right up front, you are not a particular Bob Dylan fan. That is fair to say? Uh, well, here's the thing. I appreciate this is a safe space. You can say yeah, whatever okay, you want. Okay, all right. Well, I, I appreciate the the significance he has as a musician in uh, in uh, especially the latter half of the 20th century. Um, do I listen to his music regularly? No, but if it comes on uh, as part of my regular rotation of listening to like my uh, like like. Apple iTunes or whatever, you know, you know, I'm not going to be like, I, I don't like shun uh, <laughs> Bob Dylan work. Um, as I was, I, I was telling you a little bit ago, I'm, uh, I, when it comes to my music listening, I really enjoy listening to good voices. Uh, and so when I'm just listening and Bob Dylan to me, his, his voice has never resonated with me. Ironically, I've liked uh, some covers of his songs that other artists have done. Oh, sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. And people who have like, um, who are stronger singing voices, you know, uh, but I, I, I appreciate the, him for being an artist. I, I do that. But although he's not someone is uh, as someone who is my go to to listen to my music, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let me let me just get a baseline. What have you heard songs of his that you did like? I mean, you're probably familiar with some of the hits. Yeah. Just by, uh, just by cultural osmosis. Is there any of them that you were particularly like, oh, all right, that's pretty good. Uh, mainly the hits um and uh, you know there was one now have you've jinxed me rob there was one <laughs> sorry the one that came on the other day that i was like oh I've got, this is really cool I, I have to mention it to rob and now i can't remember what it was it was one of his uh <laughs> it was from his early 70s uh knocking on heaven's door hurricane no 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 not, not one of the big ones it wasn't it was something oh. that just randomly came on and i'm like this is really really fantastic and i think it was I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to remember what it was like five minutes after right. we get done recording. <laughs> sure. But okay. the, the, what struck me though, is it was definitely a younger Dylan in the sense that, no, uh, I'm not young as in he was just starting out, but young as compared in, to now compared to now. And uh, his voice had not, he was actually enunciating his words. Okay. And I was actually able to understand what he was saying. Like, that's one of my biggest pet peeves with Dylan and the singing. I'm like, dude, you don't have to be the greatest singer in the world, but you got to enunciate what you're <laughs> saying so we can understand you. Um, with all due respect, I, I don't want any bobcats coming at me and, and clawing my face off or anything. No, they're, like that. they're free. <laughs> 
Don't worry about it. They're, they're a pretty passive bunch. But, uh, yeah, I've always right. been I, I, I've always been fascinated by one of his songs that was actually it's a parody of uh, the Bobby Gentry song, the um the uh, clothesline saga. Oh, the oh, uh, yes, the ode to yeah. Billy, Billy Joe. Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, because I actually at one point um, I was teaching ode to Billy Joe to uh, my students. I'm an English teacher for those people out there who don't know. Um, and I, as a, at one point, as in like an intro to poetry to get kids kind of into the idea of like how to break open a poem, I, I did ode to Billy Joe because of the the built-in mystery tends to kind of like. Uh, to the late kids a little bit to were like, Ooh, let's figure this out. That type mm-hmm. of thing. Like what's, what's really happening here. And in the process of us, in the process of researching that song, I found his parody of it, uh, which I was like, okay, well, this is an inch. I've never really explored it too much. Uh, but I was, I always had it in the back of my mind as a, like being interested in why he ever felt the need to parody that <laughs> song. Like why go after, uh, uh, Bobby Gentry of all people. <laughs> well, know? if you yeah. want, I can give you some context for that. If you if you want sure. to know why yeah, that go is, ahead. Okay. Uh, educate me. Okay, are you familiar with something called the basement tapes? Do you know what that yeah. is at all? I do know what it is. Yes. Okay, so this was when Bob had uh, retired to his home in Woodstock and mm. was uh, simply uh, kind of uh, out of the fray. He had had a motorcycle accident, and he was sort of just. Uh, pulling himself off the road. And then at that point, the band had come up, the group called the band, Robin yeah. Robertson and the group had come up to live there basically around him. And they decided to simply record a bunch of songs together. Mm-hmm. They were writing uh, kind of off the cuff and just record it all kind of on the down low. Uh, none of these songs are really meant to be released in any real way. And okay. so over the course of a couple of months, they wrote and recorded quite literally almost hundreds of songs. I mean, it was it was yeah. probably considered his most fertile period, and some of his most enduring songs came from that from that period. There's the the Quinn the Eskimo, I shall be released. I mean, some you know songs that people have gone on to know. So he was knocking out songs at a prodigious rate. So the parody of the Ode to Billy Joe was probably not so much a knock on. Bobby Gentry in any real way. It was just sort of a random inspiration. He wrote it down, they recorded it and moved on to the next thing. You know what I mean? It was not meant as any sort of extended knock on, on anybody because they were just banging out songs at a ridiculous rate. Got it. Well, I wonder then how it became known as a uh, a knock on uh, Ode to Billy Joe then. That's interesting. Like, Like, is it just because of the similarities between like the, the focus on mundane details or, if I recall, he gave an interview once where he mentioned that he had heard it on the radio and it okay. sort of inspired him to write this other version of it. So that, I think that's kind of what that was. No, okay. I, I do want to ask you, you mentioned hearing your music. How, how do you listen to random music? How, what, what form is the music getting to you? Uh, well, I'm listening to, through my iPhone okay. <clears throat> on Apple iTunes. I just, uh, I create, uh, I have my own playlist that I listen to. Gotcha. Uh, and then I also go to the different stations and iTunes. I mean, I'm not very high tech with this. I'm just like, oh, let's let me listen to the singer songwriter uh, gotcha. okay. station. Okay. And that's where I, I've heard a lot of um, uh, Dylan songs have come up on. In right. That of course. Respect. Of course. And that's, that's where I heard. That's where I heard that one random song that I really liked that I can't remember the name. That's of what I'm now. trying to figure out. I'm like, <laughs> what were they? What would they play? What, what song would that be? So maybe over the course of the next you know, t- 20 minutes or so, we'll, we'll figure it out. But anyway, sure. yeah. again, this is what, the reason I had you here, as you mentioned, is because mm-hmm. I want, I've been wanting to do this show for a while where I talked about 
these two covers that Dylan did, they are some of my favorite covers the man has ever performed. And because they both had, uh, you know, expressly religious bent, uh, I wanted to have people on that can speak to that side of it more coherently than I can, which is not hard because I can't speak to it coherently at all. So uh, later on in the show, as, as I mentioned, and we're going to be talking about the, the Hank Williams song, Thank God, with my pal Henry Bernstein. But I wanted to have you here to talk mm-hmm. about this song, Hallelujah, I'm Ready to Go. Now, before I even talk about Bob's covers of it, were you familiar with this song at all before I mentioned it to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I have... Born and raised in, in southern Delaware, uh, which is, even though Delaware is technically considered a, a northern state, we have a very much a southern bent down here in this area of, of, the, of the state. And uh, I grew up farm family, and uh, country music was being played everywhere, bluegrass. Uh, and so this, um, what I became most familiar with was the Ricky Skaggs version of this gotcha. song. And I think he is the, I think other people have recorded it, but I think he had the one that just hit for some reason, at least among country music and bluegrass fans, Uh, because it's a hit. Like if you go look on YouTube and look up Ricky Skaggs and put in the title of the song, there's like a billion, (laughs) a billion different instances of him performing it live, Mm. you know? Uh, And so this was uh, a song for him. And I just remember not necessarily like singing to this song or it being a big part, but it was always, I remember it playing in the background. Like I would be at a, uh, at my grandmother's house and it would be playing on the radio in the background, Wow, that type of thing. Um, so I was familiar when I, and now the, here's the thing. When you told me about the song, I, the title didn't register with me. The moment I played the YouTube video that you sent me, I was like, Oh, okay. This is what that song is. And I instantly went back to the Ricky Skaggs version to take a, to like, I'm going to, I'm not going to try to make a comparison between the two uh, versions, but I kind of went back to the Ricky Skaggs version as a way to like get me into what Bob Dylan is doing with his version of the song. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That, that was uh, when I looked it up myself. First of all, I, I couldn't uh, find uh, who is the credited writer. It's listed as traditional, mm-hmm. uh, which means, I guess, basically whoever wrote it, it's, it's lost to the mists of time, yeah, uh, which probably. is too bad. Uh, which is not Ricky- unusual with bluegrass songs. I mean, right, they, right. they come and they kind of like get past, it's almost like an oral tradition in Native American literature. Like you really don't know, everyone who gets it kind of adds their own little twist to it. And as a matter of fact, um, when I was looking this up, I like found like, uh, very subtle but uh, telling differences in lyrics, uh, like you, that you can find uh, across the board here, like uh, just different uh, tweaks to uh, with the different verses and whatnot, versus what Ricky Skaggs sang, what what has come up in other traditional. I don't want to say traditional, but um, uh, I, I heard one group like a uh, it was a, a, a quartet singing the song that I was just looking through. And, uh, you know, lyrically, they, there's always some changes and some twists to it. And, of course, Bob Dylan does his own little twist on the lyrics as well. Right. One, well, mm-hmm. the one, I discovered, I had never heard of the song at all. By the way, I mm-hmm. said that when I looked it up, I saw that the two most famous covers, clearly the Ricky Skaggs one was the big one. There's also one by the Stanley Brothers, and yeah. Bob Dylan was a huge fan of the Stanley Brothers. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's where he heard it. But I had never heard of the song at all. I was mm-hmm. not familiar with it familiar with it at all until 
Bob started doing this run of concerts in the late 90s, starting in 1999 through about 2002, where he was opening every concert or nearly every concert with a traditional song. It was not one of his songs. And Hallelujah, I'm Ready to Go was in the mix. There was other songs like um, Obey But Ain't No Lie, I Am the Man, Thomas, uh, Duncan and Brady. And it was all, I was learning all of these songs. I'd never heard of any of these songs until Bob started doing them. And you could tell uh, being, you know, being someone that's been to a lot of Bob Dylan concerts, you could see the fun he was having doing oh, these songs. You okay. could see it. And, and, you know, we've talked about this in other, other uh, instances where sometimes you could see when Bob is singing someone else's songs, he almost visibly looks lighter because I think mm-hmm. he's able to, to shed the Bob Dylan thing that's resting on his shoulders all the time and just cover this song and just cover this song that he loves. And this one in particular, of all the ones that I had heard, of all those, those covers that he was doing, that he was opening the, the shows with, this one was my favorite. It, uh, I love the way that the band sings the chorus. Uh, he's got Larry Campbell with him, and he's, he's doing the sort of call and response because mm-hmm. as Bob is singing hallelujah, you've got Larry Campbell going, I'm ready. You know, they're going back and forth. So it's you know, straight up gospel kind of thing. But yeah. the, thing that, the thing that really touched me about it was, is that, like I said, I wasn't familiar with the song. And I, you know, have not, outside of uh, my first 10 years, I was not raised with any sort of religion. And I was sort of familiar with uh, religious songs as being, I mean, obviously there were some exceptions, mm-hmm. you know, I, I saw like, I've seen the Blues Brothers a million times, yeah, but like yeah. <laughs> so many, so much, so many religious songs are kind of so dour, you know, and this mm-hmm. thing was so up. I mean, first of all, they're talking about dying. You're talking about dying, but yet it is so upbeat. It is so positive of like, you're so, uh, your, your faith is so strong that even though you're about to pass on to the other side, you're happy about it. You're so happy you're going to sing about it. And I just found mm-hmm. this song to be just totally beguiling. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a praise song uh in the sense that uh, i can tell you've never been to a southern church then no um <laughs> if <you> have, <laughs> no <laughs> because if you ever go to a southern church especially uh uh one that has more uh evangelical flavor to it uh you're going to get these praise songs uh where uh there is the call and response and there is a lot of repetition because it's meant to be sung collectively Right. And you're also going to get a lot of churches where uh, they will project the lyrics up on a screen for people to follow. And oh, sing. wow. And, yeah. And um, I, I don't ever recall going to one of these churches where this particular song was sung, but it's definitely in that vein of like of uh, of people like I could see people clapping to it and singing to it and 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 and, and you're right in Christian music it is not uncommon to sing joyfully about dying <laughs> and going <laughs> you know and you, you certainly you get that in a lot of Negro spirituals for instance um, where uh, you know you have uh, uh, this song that is talking about moving on to a better existence that's moving on to uh, to you know the paradise that is going to awaiting for us after this miserable life is done you know that that's 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 a very common thing in a lot of Christian music, especially like I was saying uh southern christian music right mm-hmm. yeah uh, it's and you you mentioned uh, a minute ago about the the, the lyrical variations and mm-hmm. I had had enough i've uh, possessed enough of Bob Dylan bootlegs 
uh, sorry, Bob, uh, to, to <laughs> even be able to pick up on the fact that, wow, even when he's covering a song, even then there's still lyrical variations. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in the, the lyrics that I saw printed, uh, the song continues on after the chorus with, sinners don't wait until it's too late. He's a wonderful savior, you know. Well, I fell on my knees and he's answered my pleas. Hallelujah, I'm ready to go. And then again, the chorus. And then hallelujah, I'm ready. I can hear the voices singing soft and low. The bootleg that I have, he doesn't sing, well, I fell on my knees, he answered my pleas. He sings something like, come to the door and answer some more. Hallelujah. Yes. So I'm amazed yeah. that even <laughs> even when he, I, I've said this on a bunch of other shows, Steve, is like, I'm amazed at the sheer number of songs this man has in his head. And you know, just that he keeps because he doesn't have a lyric sheet yeah. out. He doesn't have monitors in front of him, front of giving him a telephone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all in his head. How he can remember all of his own songs is amazing. <laughs> but then he has room in his brain for a thousand covers. And then on top of yeah. the thousand of covers, he has lyrical variations of those covers. I just, to me, it's amazing that he's able to remember that there's line variations in this song. <laughs> and even if he is making a mistake, you know, he's able to sing it in such a way that he's able to still rhyme it. And <laughs> yeah, he can still come back to the rhyme. It's amazing. It uh, really is. Amazing. Yeah, I noticed that, too. And I was I was very interested. Um, that's when it was one of those points. I was like, God damn it, Bob, enunciate. What are you saying here? You know, <laughs> and uh, so I was like, yeah, because I picked up on the like the, the door and come back some more. Mm-hmm. And also uh, in the earlier verse, which I found interesting, um, because he says something along the lines of, um, I let my savior in, and it sounded like he, he sang, and he let my baby live. Instead of saying, I, I, and Jesus came in and saved us all from sin, is the lyric that I found online when I was mm-hmm. looking at this. And that's what, uh, in the Ricky Skaggs version, that's what uh, Skaggs sings. And when I listened to Bob, I was like, I let my savior in and he let my baby live is what it sounds is. I don't know what you were picked, what you picked up on or not from that. But I was like, is he, that's what he's saying. And if he's, if he, if that is indeed what he's singing, that is a very interesting change for him, whether he came up with it or found another version that was singing that particular lyric, the, um, one, the choice to go with that one, you know? So uh, yeah. what do you, what did you see? Or the what one, did you hear? The one that I have, it really sounds like he says to me, but Jesus came in and he saved my soul from sin. Okay. Hallelujah. I'm right. And they're right. And that, that might be even another version, you know, okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, I will, I will explain to you, Steve, we, as Dylan fans, you, you have to be tolerant of incredibly obscure lyric changes across songs. <laughs> I mean, he is still, fiddling with songs that are 50 years old he's still changing one or two words here and oh, there and okay. and us obsessive fans are able to ferret that out very instantly we're like wait okay. a minute what did he did he just say lamp instead of light <laughs> that's what does that mean you know i mean we are just sifting through this stuff like indiana jones you know with a it, it's i mean that's just that's just par for the course when you're when you're a dylan fan but yeah mm-hmm. i would i i have some other bootlegs of it there's the one that i tend to listen to the most now this was something that he performed 37 times over the course of uh, from 1999 to 2002 and then he abandoned it he gave up on it uh and in right around the time he basically stopped singing any of the folk songs as the openers he moved on to back to singing his own songs again and so who knows why who knows why mm-hmm. he felt the, the need to do that but i i thought that the quality of these performances and the the life that he brought him in the band i should never not to 
mention the band, the life that they brought to these songs, these old songs that were probably being introduced to people for the first time, you know, for most of the people, they're probably hearing these songs for the first time. I, you know, I, I was like, God, put out an album of these, like just put (laughs) out a live album of him covering old folk songs. And yeah, because we know Columbia records or slash Sony music records all of his concerts on these soundboards. So they have these crystal clear, you know, versions of these songs and they're all just sitting in storage somewhere. And maybe, you know, after Bob shuffles off this mortal coil and it becomes history, um, that's when the stuff is going to get rolling out. But Mm -hmm. man, I, like I said, it was like, I was so, I I sort of joked about like, if I had heard songs like this when I was younger, I might've been more open to being more religious. (laughs) You know, I I was so, yeah, I was so taken by this because I just, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this at all, Steve, during the, are you familiar Mm -hmm. at all with Bob Dylan's born again period? Are you familiar with that at all? I am. I am actually, yes, because um, I'm a fan of the film. I'm not there. Oh, Uh, okay. And I remember, I think it was Christian Bale plays uh, the version of Bob Dylan. That is the, the born again, Christian. It it, kind of sent me on a, a, through a rabbit hole to be like well, i went through when i remember watching the film years ago and i was like started like looking to see okay what are these different versions supposed to be representing mm-hmm. and that's when i knew about found out about his born again um uh uh period it happened shortly after a divorce wasn't it or basically yes yeah yeah uh, it it, it you know, give or take, it basically encompasses three albums. Uh, uh-huh. The Slow Train Coming, Saved, and Shot of Love from 1979, 1980, 1981. And then he sort of faded it out after that and, and did, did, essentially did not return to it, although he will occasionally dig out one of those songs. He, When I saw him last in November of 2019, he was singing Gotta Serve Somebody again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was something he returned to. But I, like I said, it's, I always have found, again, and I know it's not fair, because obviously not all, they're not all like this. Even a lot of Dylan's Born Again songs are not like this. But I always found, again, like religious songs to just be so just non-joyful. <laughs> and that I, I just did, they never, I was just like, okay, yeah. all right, I'm hearing about sin. I'm, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> I know, I know. And then to hear this song where I could just imagine, you know, a chorus of people singing it. Mm-hmm. And the, again, it was just, and, you know, I know you talked about that his voice doesn't resonate with you and that's mm-hmm. you know hey that it either does or it doesn't there's no what there's no arguing about it it's like arguing mm-hmm. uh, with somebody if they find something funny or not you can't argue into sure. it it is funny don't yeah. you understand no it doesn't work that <laughs> way but i will say that like his performance of this song put it across so powerfully for me that i was like boy i could imagine someone sitting in a church singing this song with mm-hmm. gusto because it, to me it's just so beautifully performed and i feel like in some ways that's bob dylan doing a public service and that he is introducing people to songs that like i said most people are not going to be familiar with and i just think that's a great thing to spread the knowledge that's how yeah. songs become traditional is yeah. they get handed down from generation to generation by people singing them and here's bob dylan doing that and more importantly, people being able to take a quote-unquote traditional song, whether it's whether it has religious connotations or not, uh, and kind of putting their own spin on it and doing something with it 
that gives it life and gives it vitality. I mean, yes, I am not a fan of, of Bob Dylan's singing, but I do agree with you that the video that you sent me, he does look like he is having the time of his life. And mm-hmm. that isn't the Dylan that I'm accustomed to seeing. Right. See, so, yeah, you you're know? kind of familiar with like, yeah. you know, the dower, <laughs> you know. Well, it's just someone who's standing there and, and singing his song. I mean, not he's, I mean, he's was even dancing around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Singing yeah, his song. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was like, oh, Bob Dylan, okay, he's, he's moving his feet. Okay, good for <laughs> <you know? laughs> And uh, so I, I absolutely see what you're saying there. And I think it's really cool that, um, that I, I'm not saying that that has converted you to Christianity or anything like that. <laughs> but no, not quite. But it's, 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 uh, it's very telling for the power of music and mm-hmm. that it, it, it allowed you to uh, understand at least some aspect of of the worshiping process that many Christians have across the country, like it, it is. Yes, we do sing about uh, dark and dour things, but yet we can sing about them in ways that is a that is uh, about praise and about uh, hope and about enlightenment. Um, you know, it, it's uh, those songs do exist, and it's more part of like the the country and bluegrass and gospel tradition. I mean, if you, I mean, if you were going to, uh, like, uh, I'm not going to like call any churches. I, I feel like I'm going to be like, like struck down by God or something. But there are certain churches that where that the music is uh, not is more somber. I will put mm-hmm. it to you that way, and um, and it's it's uh, and, and there isn't this and there there isn't this. Um, invitation of of more uh upbeat or up more uh of more um you can feel free to edit me here because i'm losing my my wording here um aspirational maybe yeah yeah maybe more inspirational is what i'm trying to yeah. okay. more more inspirational and energetic music mm-hmm. and uh you know and uh, you know and, and so i can see if that was your experience i can see why that message of 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 hope didn't come through to you and especially with you, when you hear a singer who you admired uh, and perform one of these songs you know that automatically brings you into uh well why is this person who i admired singing this particular song what does right. it mean like you were just saying like all, all the bobcats are always looking at the minutia of, <laughs> of his uh, lyric changes <laughs> and also looking at why he's choosing to sing a particular song, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have felt that way too with uh, other singers who have taken songs that I have, I've heard uh, or that I'm familiar with and kind of, and, and did things with them and made them their own. Like um, uh, one of the th- th- songs, uh, versions of a song uh, that I heard one time, a different cover of a song that I heard one time is, um, Dolly Parton covered uh, Collective Soul's Shine one time. <laughs> wow. And okay. Collective Soul, you know, uh, their Shine was a very mediocre rock song from the 90s. Like, it was not, in my opinion, mediocre. I don't want anyone to come at me who's like a big fan of Collective Soul or something like that. <laughs> You're but, just angering fan bases left I know, and right I'm here, like, Steve. But she took it, and, and actually, you know, whereas... Uh, Bob Dylan took a, a traditional bluegrass song and gave it more of a, I don't want to say a rock beat, but like a rock folk type of feel to it. Uh, she took Shine, 
like this head banging, you know, thrashing, you know, song from the nineties and turned it into a bluegrass song. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, when I listened to her sing that song, it sounded like I, I, the lyrics came alive to me in, in terms of how like spiritual they actually are. Um, and uh, what kind of like deeper message that she was bringing to it because of how she chose to interpret the song. Right. Um, and so those kind of things always fascinate me. So I was, I was gung ho to do this show because I was, I was like, okay, we're looking at Bob Dylan doing a cover and that's going to bring with it uh, certain things where we're going to look at the choices he's making in covering the song. It's not about, okay, his process of writing the song and what was he trying to do. It's like him taking somebody else's work or a traditional work that has been taken and performed by other people. And what is he bringing to it? What, what new thing is he doing to it? And it sounds like you absolutely picked up on that. You know, as a longtime Dylan fan, you picked up on some of the things he was bringing to it and, and what he was highlighting uh, at least what you what you personally were getting from it, what he was highlighting in his performance. Yeah, completely. And you mentioned that you like you noticed that he was kind of like dancing a little, or he yeah. had his one mm -hmm. foot up. And I'll I'll tell you something else that, that Bob fans uh, are are big on is like he is not as you seen just from some concert clips, not very demonstrative. You know, he is not. Uh, Mick Jagger, or uh, sure. again, let's look at a more contemporary reference, like you know, Katy Perry running around the stage, <laughs> gesticulating wildly and with costume changes, <laughs> and all. He just stands there, and a lot of times is very uh, immobile and it mm -hmm. looks almost emotionless. And Bobcat fans have been le learned to live with little because when you're up close to him, and even you see him crack a smile it ripples through the crowd <laughs> like he just, I don't know, threw a bunch of money into the, you know, just, and that's, and he has taught his fans that a little goes a long way. And so when you yeah. see him sing a song and in the middle of a line, he'll go like, and he'll chuckle or he'll go like, Oh, shucks. People just go crazy because he has, he is so undemonstrative. And so when yeah. you even see him lifting his foot up like that with the cowboy boot on, and looking like he's having a good time, you're just like, oh, this is great. He's enjoying mm -hmm. that he's here with me because he mm -hmm. does this like 120 times a year. He's a 70, you know, whatever he is, eight-year-old man, 79, 80 now, you know, and here he is having fun, and that's what you want to see. And the one last thing I will, I will bring up when it's about sort of the, the religiosity of this mm -hmm. is I will tell you, I grew up Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I went to CCD, and uh, my teacher – uh, for CCD. First of all, nobody wants to go to CCD because it's school on Sunday. It's already, you know, I mean, I'm already going to school and now I'm losing part of my precious weekend going to more school. This is, you know, it's already, the deck is already stacked against you. But my teacher was my best friend's mother and she did not like me very much. And she was very clear about that as my teacher. And, oh, wow. And really made my life kind of miserable. And, I, even at the, that young an age, I was not that much of a smart ass. I was never like someone who was going to like talk back to the teacher. I was not, I'm not built that way, or at least I wasn't then, but I, I was, I was so confused by her insistence that everything that was being taught be as humorless and as dour as oh. possible. And it made me, it, I will tell you, it imprinted on me for the rest of my life, a lot of ways that, oh, this is what religion is. It is just 
drudgery. Oh, no. And and it's the kind of thing where it's like, I mean, to quote a line from another one of my shows, Father Mulcahy over on MASHcast, humor is one of God's creations. You know, if you yeah. want to if you want to take it like that, that's part yeah. of that's part of the world. So why is that considered bad? You know, that it's like, oh, anybody has yeah. a chuckle and you get a glaring look from somebody. And so I'm not going to say there were no instances where that was refuted in my life between that experience and this song. But this yeah. song, like I said, was so joyful and upbeat that it reminded me that, oh, of course, some religious material could be like this. It could be upbeat. It could be fast paced. And it yeah. wasn't meant to. It's not um, it's not sacrilegious. It's, in yeah. fact, it's, it's ultimately I mean, again, and I, what I, I guess the song about, the, you know, this is this person's dying and they're happy about it. But also the phrase, I'm ready to go. Yeah. The idea that they've done everything on earth that they want to do and they're ready to move on to the next thing. I just find that such a marvelous, again, the lyrics are just so marvelous. And again, it's the Bob puts it across in such a way that again, like you talk about with Dolly Parton, the timber of, for me, the timber of his voice, the way he's able to sing it, he's putting it across in a way that like, say I listened to the Ricky Skaggs one and I was like, that's fine, but it didn't do anything for me. When I hear yeah. Bob sing it, boom, it just fires all the synapses in my brain. Sure. Yeah. Um, first of all, I don't want to like, like turn this into a therapy session, but I have to say that story just that you just told me about that teacher breaks my heart. Um, and I am so sorry that you had that experience because there is nothing that can kill joy for a student than a, than a shitty teacher. And we should explain to everybody you're a teacher, yeah. so you, yeah. you oh, know yeah, what yes, you're talking yeah. about. Yes. And um and I, I, I know I've known teachers who are like that, like what you've just described, and I have known teachers who have taken the most boring topics imaginable and turned them into something that is vital and uh and energetic and lively for kids, like bring it to life. So the fact that you had that experience, and especially since it was dealing with religion on top of that, and yeah. I'm not saying that you need to, you know, your beliefs are your beliefs, but, you know, experiences like that have a profound effect on us. Like, sure. um, uh, I, I mean, I had an experience, I went to a, uh, a church uh, one of my, my aunt, who is a very religious Bible thumper, so I'm going to make sure she doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> but she is e extremely religious, and she went to one of these churches that, like, you know, like very dour and looking down their nose at things and things aren't proper. And I remember for some reason, I don't, I guess maybe my parents were punishing me or something. They sent me to my aunt's house for a weekend, <laughs> and I went to Sunday school with her and in Sunday school there was a a uh they a woman who was leading Sunday school was saying oh, I'm going to go get a picture for you guys to draw or something along those lines and I just very innocently said oh what's the picture of like I'm like I was excited I was going to have a picture to color and she just very nastily turned to me and said you just sit down and you'll find out what it is. Like just in that kind <laughs> of tone. And I was like, whoa, you know, and that, you know, I, I, I don't get, I'm not going to try to turn this into a therapy session for the both of us, but I, I, I know what you're saying. I understand like how, like as a child, how an, a, a teacher or someone who's in a teacher position, how they treat you and how they react to you 
can color how you perceive uh, the content that they're trying to teach. Sure. Um, and your idea about humor as well. I've never understood any any uh, religion or any sort of um, a doctrine or any sort of process, like even the teaching uh, different subjects, not, not even religious related that didn't incorporate humor in some way, shape or form, because it is such a natural part of, of what we do and, and how, and the joyfulness of our lives. I mean, you see in Dylan's performance, like he is, he's goofing it up a little bit as much as he, <laughs> as much as he does, you know, um, yeah, there's a, there's a top you know, limit. He, he's, he's not yucking to. it up. He's not like Jim Carrey up there, like turning into <laughs> like a rubber band or something. But um, he, but he, there is a there is joyfulness and humor in what he's doing there. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, the idea that there that you have to have this dour approach to uh, to religion is uh, often what turns people off from it. Um, this idea that you have to go and be so serious. Now, on the flip side of that, I do, I, like, I'm a, I'm a singer myself. I'm a musician. I sing in my church choir. I uh, will go and, and sing songs uh, during, the, especially during the summertime when I'm not teaching school. And I will, uh, I take it seriously. So you, you, if you're going to be, if you're going to go be part of like a church service, singing and be part of the music, it needs to be taken seriously. But that doesn't mean you can't have fun with it that means you can't doesn't mean you can't uh interject some humor to this um right. i you know and so some of the pieces i try to take in i don't i'm like going in and doing like comedy pieces or anything like that uh right, but right, right. i i do try to uh you know to bring in something that is a little bit more um uh, a little bit more lively and, and 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 uh something that is going to spark uh at least spark thought in people rather than uh, rather than say, okay, now it's this time for the song. Let me like look at my watch, or let me discreetly pull out my iPhone while they <laughs> right, are, right, right. are listening to while the music is going on, or something like that. Um, but music is a huge part of uh, the Christian tradition, um, at least as it's being practiced here in the United States. Uh, it's uh, if it almost feels like if you don't have music, you don't have a church service. Like it's so intertwined. Uh, and it has to be there, especially when you're talking about uh, the Protestant religions. Um, right. You know, I, I was discreetly trying to say Catholic earlier when I was <laughs> was talking <laughs> about the more dour approach. Well, uh, yeah, there music. you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, but since you brought it up, you're the one who, who can take that hit, not me. Exactly. Um, yeah, but, uh, I'm not uh, afraid of the Catholic Church. What are they going to do to me? Come on. Come on. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, and so it's, um, uh, you know, songs the the song the singing tradition musical tra- tradition and these praise songs are uh, are uh, like I, I was i heard when i listened to bob dylan like i was not when i listened to his version of the song i mean i was not surprised by the way that you were because this is something this is a type of song that i've been hearing my entire life you know i'm i'm not saying i didn't see i didn't appreciate what bob dylan was doing with it or that i was bored by what he was doing i very much enjoyed his performance of it um, but it was, but to me, I, I didn't have that same level of surprise that you had because this is the type of song that I've been hearing my entire life. That's, and that's great. That's, that's marvelous. Like I envy you that you had that experience that it, it took me that long to hear something like that. I mean, this is a traditional song and it's 1999 and I'm just hearing about it at that point. Yeah. 
So, and I will, I will sort of wrap up here, but the, the one mm-hmm. you mentioned something about the, the idea of the music being part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a great line that Dylan wrote in one of his songs. He has a song from 1989 called political world. And he wrote a line that ended up getting cut from a song, but from the song, but the, the refrain is we live in a political world, a world without wine, women, and song. You can make it through without the first two, without the third, you wouldn't last long. And I just thought that was one of the most interesting turns of phrase he ever wrote. And the idea that you could live without wine and women, but man, you need a song to sing or you're, you're doomed. I just thought that was an incredibly uh, trenchant observation. And it's the kind of thing where you could impart some religiosity to it or not if you choose to. But I just thought, I thought, yeah, I mean, to me, if there's anybody who's living that maxim, it's him. Sure. Because he, he lives and breathes these things. And and again, he's, he's passing them on to people. And I just think that's remarkable. So um, I have have two comments to that, if you don't mind. Oh, go right ahead. (laughs) Uh, One is uh, the idea of like needing a song. Like I I interpret that as meaning like we need to have expression. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to have a a way of expressing ourselves creatively. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second comment I have to that is what a Bob Dylan fan you are that you're able to quote a discarded lyric from a song oh, yeah. he wrote in 1989. Oh, I'm like, Steve. Okay, that's a level of, of going into the weeds I did not expect. So, oh, Steve, uh, the knowledge. Off to you, sir. Oh, the stuff I have in my head <laughs> is ridiculous. It's just absolutely. I mean, I am sure, like me as well, you are able to quote chapter and verse some very, very obscure comic book related sure. stuff mm-hmm. that to the average human, they would say, what in the holy hell are you talking about? How do you remember what issue sure. of the Hulk Wolverine first appeared in? How do you possibly remember that? Well, that's how I am for Dylan lyrics, too. Sure. I, I, I have, you know, I have lyrics that he that he never used uh, in any official way imprinted on my brain. I mean, that's just the way it is. So um, well, anyway, Good for Steve, you. Thank you. So anyway, Steve, well, again, thank you so much for doing this. I very much appreciate it. I have talked to other people. Uh, not about this song, but I've talked to other people over the years about doing the show who are not giant fans and they get scared off because they are afraid that they're not going to be adequate or whatever. And I, I'm big on like, I don't believe in gatekeeping in any mm-hmm. respect, in any manner. There is no better fan than other fit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't believe mm-hmm. that. And I don't believe that you have to have like so much of a fandom to be on the show. I like pe- different people's interpretations. And like I said, I'm, I'm the one coming to the song with all the Dylan knowledge. I don't need you to have that, but I, I wanted to speak to someone who could talk about the religious angle of it eloquently and interestingly. And I knew you could do that because we have done a bunch of shows together on other topics. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like we well, did for the for treasury that. cast. Mm-hmm. We talked about the Bible. Yes. It's the same idea. I was like, <laughs> I can't speak to the Bible portion of it. I talk about the comic book portion of it, mm-hmm. but I always enjoy talking to you. And I very much appreciate you were willing, your willingness to come on uh, and, t- and talk about something that you weren't super familiar with. I very much appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm uh I, I, I'm always game to learn something new and to be educated by someone who knows more than I do. So thank you for the hour of education that you have provided me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm teaching you something. That's a, yes, exactly. <laughs> so why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Oh gosh. Um, uh, I, I, I live a very boring life. Uh, so, uh, I am on Facebook. My name is Steve Givens. Uh, if you are not, uh, 
friends with someone I know, though, you're not going to find me on Facebook because as a teacher, I don't want students to find me. So um, I've got uh, so I'll be hard to find. I am on Twitter. Um, It's a Givens blog is my handle. Um, I have a blog. It's a Givens blog at uh, it's a Givens blog spot, whatever the whatever. I haven't (laughs) I haven't done anything with it in a long time. So if you want to go look at my old movie reviews and poetry and stuff, go for it. Um, But uh, yeah, that's where I am. And I'm usually uh, uh, on the uh, fire and water website. website making comments here and there on the different <laughs> about the different shows and uh you might find me occasionally here on the on the network uh where i get called in to be a guest got at, at, at the person's own uh, uh at their own detriment bringing me on as a guest and uh yeah so yeah that's where like people can find me excellent like i said you've been crossing off shows off the fire and water bingo card at a prodigious <laughs> rate and you got one of the harder ones because most uh, people that I have done a lot of shows with don't do Pod Dylan. Sure. Because yeah. this is like the outlier on kind of the network. So you've already crossed <laughs> Pod Dylan off. So you, I think the, uh, the other I'm shows happy. will be easier for you to rack up. Sure. Well, I'm happy because I've done a different show each time. Right. Uh, and it's, and they've been very different shows. So I've not mm-hmm. had to like overlap things. Um, I, I'm going to like, uh, Chris has asked me to be, to do an episode of, um, the JLU podcast uh, coming up uh, when they do like a flash centered episode uh, because I'm a big flash fan. And, um, and then God help me. Shag has asked me to be on uh, the JLI podcast uh, in an upcoming few months. So that'll be, I've never been one-on-one with Shag yet. And I don't know what's what that's going to be like. I usually have had that. The one time I was on a show with him, I've had other people as a buffer. <laughs> so, I, I, we're going to need to, we're going to need to get other, I'm, I'm going to need to get you to appear on all my other shows before that. Cause you're going to be done with podcasting. after that. That's, that's going to be it. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, Steve, again, thanks again for doing this. I very much appreciate sure. it. So thanks everybody for listening. I want you to stay tuned and I'm going to play some podcast promos. And when I come back, we're going to do part two of the show where my pal Henry Bernstein and I are going to discuss Bob Dylan's cover of Hank Williams's Thank God. Stay tuned. In 1974, four men literally changed the face of rock and roll forever. Gene Simmons, Peter Chris, Ace Frehley, and Paul Stanley wanted to become the band they never got to see. Over the next 40 plus years, the music, the makeup, the merchandise, and the loyal fan base have propelled KISS to one of rock and roll's elite groups. With KISS heading down their end-of-the-road tour, we thought we would start our journey. Turn it up to 10 because we love it loud. Right Between the Eyes is a podcast all about our favorite band, KISS. We will be covering all eras of KISS with the various albums, studio, live, and compilations, plus album mashups and more we will also cover solo and band projects from all members past and present while also looking at the various bands that have opened for kiss as well not to mention all of the fun items in the kiss catalog tv appearances long form videos merchandise comic books come on the list goes on and on coming in late may early june 2021 to a podcast platform near you follow us on twitter at rbte podcast Loud. I want to hear it loud. Right between the eyes. I want to hear it loud. Right between the eyes. Loud. I want to hear it loud. Turn it out. He said I was a liar. I'm not. 
People think you are good, but you are bad and hard-hearted. I'll let everyone know what you have done. I am a free human being with an independent will which I now exert to leave you. To marry you would kill me. I'm a badass woman. What's wrong with that? Can't hold me back. Yeah, I'm a badass woman. Just me. Dear Reader, a Jane Eyre podcast. Join me, Stella, as I look at the legacy of Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte through the lens of its varied and various interpretations. TV, film, radio, theater, sci-fi, er- erotica? Pun intended. Does Jane Eyre transcend culture, time, place, and galaxy? Listen and find out. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can't ignore, you can't ignore no more. I'm a badass woman. There's a road that's straight and narrow that the saints have traveled on, paved with all the tribulations of all the martyrs that have gone. If you're grateful for their victories and for showing us the way, then give thanks for all your blessings. Get on your knees and pray. Thank God for every flower and every tree. Thank God for all the mountains and the seas. Thank God for giving life to you and me, wherever you may be. Thank God. So welcome back to the show. This is part two of the special Pod Dylan, where we're talking about Bob Dylan covering songs of faith. And join me to talk about Hank Williams's Thank God is returning guest, Henry Bernstein. Hi, Henry. Hi, Rob. I'm happy to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's like every time I hear from you that you'd like me to sit in and talk about Bob Dylan with you. I just giggle with excitement. So thank you for having me back. <laughs> well, that, that's great. Thank you. So uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, this Hank Williams song, Thank God, that Bob Dylan has only covered one time uh, as far as we ever know. This was recorded uh, at apparently a sound check with Tom Penny, the Heartbreakers when they were on tour on August 5th of 1986. It was uh, part of a sound check when they were in California, San Francisco, I believe. And then it was broadcast at the Lubavitcher's Kabad. Am I saying that right? Let me handle this one. Uh, I got, go ahead. That's why I brought you on, Henry. You can, you yeah. Talk about this. It was at the Lubavitcher Chabad Thank you. telethon. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, oh, it's it's okay. It's that's why it's why you have your uh, friendly Jewish friend here. <laughs> <laughs> and it aired on September 14th, 1986. So, can you explain to me, Henry, what the say that again? The Lubavitch Chabad, Lubavitch or Chabad telephone. So, okay. so <laughs> Rob, <laughs> this, is, this is just like, you. first of all, you said, oh, you know, we'll talk, you know, pull the curtain back, you know, we'll talk briefly, this won't be so long, but you asked me to talk about briefly about the Chabad telephone in which Bob Dylan has participated <laughs> at least twice. <laughs> so a certain uh, movement in Judaism called Lubavitch Chabad it's based on um, an ethnic Ashkenazi group from t- town in Poland. They were uh, they're chas- considered Hasidic, and it's just a it's a branch of Judaism that is, I would say, very religious, very orthodox in terms of practice. But also Chabad specifically does a lot of outreach to the world. Like there are Chabad if you're in India, if you're a, a, a Jew in India, or I don't know, somewhere even more random than that. 
and you're and it's Passover time and you need to find a Seder, you go to the the Chabad house. They're all over the world and they do outreach. And a lot of what they do is sort of bring people into religious Judaism. But a lot of what they do is just sort of have, you know, Jew, places for Jews in the world. And one of their sources of income, uh, because they're obviously non-profit movement, religious organization, Jewish religious organization, is they have a telethon to raise money uh, for their various charities, which in Hebrew is called tzedakah. And yeah, it comes from the word tzedek, which means justice. So like charity and justice are very much tied together in Judaism. I like so, that. Um, yeah. So the telethon, I mean, I, I never saw it live. It wasn't like you know, I didn't have the Jewish channel or, you know, wherever they aired it. <laughs> I don't know if they like bought time from Jerry Lewis or something. But I I remember here in college hearing about this thing that Bob Dylan had once uh, been on the Chabad telethon. And I was like, that, that can't be. That's because for, for, I would say for practicing Jews, obviously B- Bob Dylan being, and not even practicing Jews, like having Bob Dylan as a member of the tribe is a source of pride. And certainly the Christian period is a complicated one. I personally, from a musical standpoint, we've talked about this, love the Christian period. And I, even from like a creative and human perspective, I think it's like amazing that he experienced that part for a few years too. So that was, that is a lot, <laughs> but um, that's sort of the, how I, you know, um, connect Bob Dylan with with that, and the, the, I, I would also Chabad specifically is credited. I, listen, I don't know if this is apocryphal or you know, I've I've seen it in articles, but sort of Chabad is credited with sort of bringing Dylan back to Judaism after okay. his Christian period. Like he was studying apparently with a rabbi in Flatbush, um, which has a big Hasidic community, and since then he has been known to do public Jewish things. For example, Bar Mitzvah, his son in Israel. Um, in 2003, he happened to be touring in Atlanta on actually right now on Yom Kippur. Uh, the, tomorrow is, well, well, as we're recording this, tomorrow is the first night of, is the, of Yom Kippur, uh, holiest day of the Jewish year. Anyway, he took an Aliyah, which is an honor at the Torah to say a, a blessing. And he said a blessing for his children. So he like went to a Jewish service on Yom Kippur because he happened to be in a town that had a synagogue. So that was that. He's for people that know him in like Jew. Everyone in Minnesota is c- kind of connected to him Jewishly, like through fan, you know, second cousin once removed kind of thing. And he's been known to appear at people's seders, Passover seders. So he, it's safe to say, I would, you know, if Bob Dylan is practicing something, it seems like Judaism has been back in his life since at least 1982. Forgive me for asking some questions that are Please. probably going to sound incredibly dumb, but I just don't, I don't know this, this world at all. And uh, so, so that's part of what I wanted, wanted you here, Henry, because you're yeah. very knowledgeable about this subject. So in terms of that specific sort of sect, if that's yeah. the right term to use. Yeah, that is, that's uh, fair, yeah. All right, Judaism. Is that something that, because like in the world of, I have slightly more knowledge of the world of Christianity because I was raised Catholic, right. um, even though I've not been a practicing religious person in 40 years. Um, I know a little more about it, obviously, than, than I do uh, Judaism. <laughs> right. But within that world, there isn't a lot of kind of moving around within the sects. Like there's, you know, like Baptist, tend to remain Baptist. Catholics remain Catholics. They they really isn't moving around. Is is this sort of part of Judaism? Is that something that 
people when, when they're born into it, they sort of stay there. Is it, the, is it kind of the same? Or is, was this something that you said it got Bob Dylan sort of out of the born again phase? And then from what may, you can perceive, maybe he's moved back out of it to another part of Judaism? Or oh, is there any way for saying. you to know uh, that? Uh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So first of all, I just, and I'll definitely answer your question. I want to say, um, I told my wife that you had said to me, um, that you wanted to have me on to talk this as a man of faith. And I said to my wife, Lizzie, who is a rabbi, I said, yeah, it was funny because I, not a man of faith, I am an observant Jew. And Lizzie's like, I'm putting that in my sermon for Yom Kippur. <laughs> so, because that is like such, the question you ask, that is, there is sort of a, this, complex world of again like I don't believe in God in like sort of a traditional sense but I practice all of the holidays I um you know obviously I'm married to a rabbi like I'm an observant Jew there there is like a difference in sort of like existential faith and practice and so I would say for many Jews it's for many Jews it's one or the other you know, I'm a deeply spiritual, but I don't practice. That's what a lot of Jews like to say. Um, or, and it's certainly in that religious world of Hasidism or Chabad, they are practicing, you know, sort of the most orthodox way of practicing Judaism. And they also do incredible outreach for people who don't practice Judaism. So meaning like it, it's not strange for some, for someone like Bob Dylan to have who, you know, was raised Jewish, had a bar mitzvah, and then kind of, you know, I would say in many ways gave it up when he, like he gave up many things when he got on the, you know, the bus and went to New York to meet Woody Guthrie. But he was, he was in the Jewish fraternity for a little bit at when he was, you know, when he was enrolled at U of M briefly. So, so when I say they brought him back to Judaism, like, I don't know what the circumstances were. I don't know if Chabad, like, you know, there are lots of famous people that are, as you can see from the, from the telethon or maybe the, the other telethon, which we'll talk about in a minute. But there are lots of famous people, Jews, that participate in the Chabad telethon. So I could imagine, you know, it could have been his friend Louis Kemp, you know, his best friend growing up that is a religious Jew. Um, anyway, some Jews practice is very important. For others, it isn't. And there's sort of everything in between. And it's not a prerequisite to believe something in order to practice something in Judaism is what I'll say. Okay. Like, you know, hmm. you know how like for like, you know, for, I would say for my understanding of Christianity, Christianity specifically Catholicism is that if you believe that Jesus Christ, the Lord and savior, then you're saved and you go to heaven. And like, you know, there's everything else fine. And for Judaism, it's not like that, basically. Does that make sense? I think so. I think so. Does that answer yeah. the question specifically? I- <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, I'm, I'm interested. I mean, I obviously I'm fascinated by the man's sort of re- religious ideals about what he, he, what he believes. We don't even really know. I mean, he's, he's given some interviews where he sort of eschews any religion at this point, And he says right. the songs are his religion, you right. know, that kind of thing. I, I think th- that, I think that like, I think that for Bob Dylan, which is true for many Jews, there is a certain sort of ineffable feeling that comes with being Jewish, like knowing that your parents were Jewish and, you know, your grandparents were from Eastern Europe and struggled and and like faced persecution and, you know, their family, you know, family members were in the Holocaust. Like these are things that like Jews in America grapple with. And I think those are probably true for Bob too. And listen, obviously we're speculating on anything. Who knows what he thinks, but, and so I think in that way, 
it's sort of like, okay, it's, uh, I'm on tour, but it's Yom Kippur tomorrow. I'm going to go into the synagogue. Like for whatever reason, we don't know what he does. The other Yom Kippur is every other year, you know, <laughs> when he's not on tour, he's often on tour in the fall, but like maybe he goes to his synagogue at home. We don't really know. I mean, he does belong to a synagogue, that, a big synagogue in Los Angeles. But so I think like he practices Judaism in a way that's just sort of like when he does, it feels normal and natural to him. When gotcha. he does things of practice, like uh, Passover Seder, you know, the things that Jews do, light a, a Hanukkah candles, you know, things like things like go to synagogue on the high holidays. So, gotcha. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this song in particular and, and pair it up with Hallelujah, I'm ready to go is that, as I've said again on other episodes, like I, I'm not a man of faith. I, you know, I, I sort of put all that aside. I've never picked it back up. But I find that the music uh, of of some religious songs, especially when they're sung by Bob Dylan, to be, um, it's the kind of thing where I was like, wow, if I had been raised with this kind of music, I might be a religious person. Because I find the performance is so energetic and so um, uh, guileless. Like, you know, they feel totally genuine to me. Sincere. and. And sincere, that's even a better a better way of, of putting it. And, you know, unlike some of the material uh, on, say, Slow Train Coming and even Saved and Shot of Love, well, again, material that I love, a lot of that stuff is is talks about, like, damnation and, you know, sin. And, and you know, they're kind of like downer songs right, <laughs> in right. a lot of ways. I love, like, Slow Train, but it's a downer song. But, like, this performance of Thank God is so wonderfully upbeat, so beautiful, so simple in its language. And of course, we have to mention this song was originally a Hank Williams song. It was written by a songwriter named Fred Rose. It was released as a posthumous single uh, in 1955 by Hank Williams. He died in 1953. But I mean, and this song is not, obviously it's not a quote unquote Jewish song. Um, You (laughs) know what I mean? Like it's, we kind of talked about that in in the previous, the last time, um, we got together it's like there is not there's nothing expressly like sort of jewish about it except for the sort of beautiful upbeat feel to it which to me i is the thing that's so that's so uh you know so fascinating about it and the second verse of the song it says in this world of grief and sorrow filled with selfishness and greed there remains a glory fountain to supply your every need. You can find it in the temple with a welcome on the door, but be sure to count your blessings before you ask for more. And then he repeats the refrain of thank God for every flower in its tree. Thank God for all the mountains and the seas. Thank God for giving life to you and me, wherever you may be. Thank God. I mean, man, Fred, Fred Rose. I, I mean, the, the, the line about uh, be sure you count your blessings before you ask for more. I think is one of the most beautiful sentiments I've ever seen in a song. And it's just so simple. Yeah. I, I want to posit a theory. And that is, I don't think that this was intended for the, tel- the Chabad telethon. I think that on the tour with, during a sound check, they would, you know, mess around and play traditional songs. And, you know, Tom Petty knows all those songs too. Mm-hmm. And yes. you, know, you want to do a Hank Williams one? Let's do it. You know? Oh, that's and, interesting. Okay. And then Chabad in whatever way that they were able to get Bob Dylan for that 1986 telecast, he sent them something like that was vaguely appropriate because at least, you know, uh, there are, there are people, you know, there are people of faith, (laughs) you know, that, you know, that certainly the rabbis are, um, are, are people of faith and definitely, you know, but it's weird hearing it on the telethon. Like, 
it's not a Jewish song. It's very much a Christian song. They don't mention Jesus explicitly, but it's, but I think the way in which Bob is performing it, I don't think there's a religious component. I think also in the way that he does Hallelujah, I'm Ready to Go, or any of those other traditional stuff, Bob is playing great music from a period of time that he's fascinated with. And I think, like you said before, the music is what is religious. Uh, for him it's the it's that hank williams we're doing a hank williams tune like that's religious like that's hollow ground to bob yeah exactly that's like he's rabbi hank williams like he's (laughs) you know like uh same with what he got three things like that you know people like that and so i think like chabad just sort of got whatever he sent them um and what's more interesting i think is that he then did another telethon for them three years later and are you aware of the the nine minute video of Bob Dylan on the Chabad Telethon from 1989? That's where he's in the band. They was introduced as Chopped Liver, right? Isn't that that? Isn't that yeah, what that it's is? Incre- yeah, it's both incredibly sweet and incredibly schlocky. <laughs> and if and like if you weren't Jewish, maybe you'd think it was like even borderline offensive, but it's not. And it's he's Tim. Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, and, yep. and his son-in-law, Peter his son Himmelman, of Peter Himmelman. Yeah. <laughs> who who many have said that man in the long black coat is about him because he's an Orthodox Jew. Um, Peter oh, Hill. wow. I've never heard um, that. Yeah. Mm. That's a, that's a theory. There's a lot of like good Bob Dylan, Jewish theories out there, <laughs> uh, sort of fan fiction. But I, I've met Peter Hillman a couple times because he's um, he, he did some work for this organization called Upstart, which sort of, empowers startup Jewish organizations, you know, gives them a grant and helps them. So my wife's synagogue what, was a part of this. And Peter oh, wow. Hillman, they did they had like a big conference a few years ago and Peter Hillman was sort of uh, the keynote. Not sort of, he was the keynote. He composed songs on the spot and he um you know led like Jewish singing and talked about um you know brand awareness, like everything. He's just like a really thoughtful, interesting, funny guy. And, and then like another time he played at the old town school of folk music in Chicago. And we talked to him afterwards. Cause he, he like remembered us from the thing, but the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking like, Oh my God, I want to ask you about Bob Dylan. I want to ask you about Bob Dylan. <laughs> and so a few years, cause, and I can't, I couldn't because a couple years before he was doing a, he was the keynote for a different Jewish organizations fundraiser. And my friend, a friend of mine, my, one of my best friends, uh, my friend Josh was, works for this organization and i asked him i said could you do you think you he's like peter hillman's coming what should i talk to him about i'm gonna have some time with him I'm like well you know he's bob dylan's son-in-law and he's like what <laughs> so he had the nerve or as in yiddish we say the chutzpah to say something to peter hillman about bob dylan and it didn't go well right? oh no <laughs> yeah oh no <laughs> like Peter said something to the effect of like, oh yeah, well, yeah, we, we don't really speak right now or something like that. Oh, like something no. super awkward and oh, super personal. No. And he, he texted me, he's like, Henry, I can't believe I did that. Like it was, <laughs> it was so incredibly awkward. So when I met Peter a couple of years later and he would spend a, quite a bit of time with him in like a day, you know, like at a conference, you know, mm-hmm. you're like sort of with people for a long period of time. And he was incredibly nice the whole time thinking like, I have so many questions to ask you. I just <laughs> want to ask you if Man in the Long Black Coat is about you. But, but anyway, um, Bob appears on this Chabad Telethon, and it's not like he comes out with a guitar and plays the time blown in the wind or something. 
he plays Hava Nagila and a, <laughs> and, um, a Spanish song and like with this group and it, yeah, it's really like schlocky and cheesy and he plays recorder on right. it. and pretty well, like, and Harry Dean Stanton is playing harmonica. And so I just encourage listeners out there check this thing out it's crazy and at the end of it a rabbi comes on and shakes each of their hands and blesses them for coming and bob is so awkward when he shakes the rabbi's head he's like i don't want to be here you know (laughs) so you know i'm I'm appreciative of bob and bob's wearing a yarmulke in it a big old yarmulke so like that's the chabad dalva this other thing i just think it's interesting that like this is what he played there like i don't think he he considers this song religious to him i don't know did i just blow your whole uh, theory no well <laughs> not, no but I, but I, the the one thing i wanted to point out was that the, the, there is a third verse to this song uh which is be forgiven to the wayward like the master told us to when he said forgive them father for they know not what they do they would change their way of living if they could but understand so remember that your brothers they need a helping hand to me that verse is a little more explicitly sort of Christian, yeah. Of course. Uh, than than and then well, that to me that the, by the fact that Bob omitted it, that makes me think he did intend it oh, for the telethon because he, he only sings the first two verses. So like, so like he had Tom Petty may uh, may his memory be a blessing. Um, are standing there like. And Bob's just like, I I, I got to do this thing. You want to do the Hank Williams song with me? And Tom Petty's just like, sure. And then you think Bob intentionally omitted that verse. I think so. I think, I think that again, we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> this but is I, of all the times we've talked Rob, which I think this is now our four. This is our I third think this is number. This is four, I believe. Yeah. yeah. We, we speculate a lot. This is definitely our most speculative like, oh, yeah, across absolutely. the board. <laughs> absolutely. Just the way that the song ends very abruptly after he yeah. sings the thank God, he goes, burn, 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 bum, bum. like it just yeah. ends very fast. It yeah. made me think that, if the telethon contacted him and said, do you have something you can give us? And he was like, well, I, we can do something at a sound check before the thing starts. And I just, by the fact that the third verse is missing from the song, make not that Bob has not in previous covers <laughs> dropped verses here and there and dropped verses of his own songs and whatever. Right. <laughs> um, but just to me, that always slightly suggested that maybe he knew that that's what this was for. And a couple uh, episodes ago on the show, my get one of my guests talked about that. He feels like the one, Bob Dylan does a cover. He gets to not be Bob Dylan in all caps, right. you know, and all the weight of that. He I just agree. gets, he just, yeah, he just gets to have fun. Yes. And, you know, music is unique in that it's the only really sort of art form where you, if you try and replicate what another person has done, it is inherently understood to be somewhat of a tribute. If you did it in any other way, someone would say, well, you're ripping that guy off. Like if you like, you know, when when uh, Gus Van Sant made remade Psycho, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, in one way, it's a tribute to Hitchcock. But at the same time, it's like, why are you remaking Psycho? Psycho's right. already perfect. Right. Or like if you tried to paint like Picasso, someone would say, why are you just ripping off Picasso? Like it's, it's awkward and weird. You're never going to make any money selling a Picasso that's not a Picasso. Right. But when someone covers another song, it's clearly intended as somewhat of a tribute because right. you're saying this song was so good, I want to do my own version of it. And you can almost hear the joy oh, that yeah. Dylan has in his voice when he's singing this. And I got this song as part of a bootleg many years ago, just sort of, I never, I didn't know what it was. You know, I was, and, and the liner notes for this bootleg didn't give me any context. 
it just said, thank God, you know, live. I was like, all right, what's this? And then the minute I heard it, I was like, oh my oh my god i love this this was really great i love the sentiment i think it's beautiful and you could just hear the joy that bob has in singing it so i and i love the fact that it appeared on this telethon it's just really fun that he kind of was charitable in that way of like okay and i i have to wonder how far ahead did the telethon like to, you know our telethons I, the only one i'm really familiar with of course was, was the jerry lewis one right. and Me they too. would they would <laughs> they would tell you ahead of time on the show is going to yeah. be Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra or whatever. Well, not Dean Martin. They didn't talk about that, but like, you know, uh-huh. Frank Sinatra or Charo, you know, or right. whatever they were going to do. But I have to wonder like Ed when they McMahon. were, yeah, right. Ed McMahon's <laughs> maybe the, uh, the solid gold dancers. But, when, but I wondered like when they were promoting this, did they say Bob Dylan is going to be on this? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I bet I went to the, the telethon website and Past participants include Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bob Dylan, Dennis Franz, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg, Anthony Hopkins, Magic Johnson, Jimmy Kimmel, Bernie Mac, Howie Mandel, Matis Yahoo. So, like, so most of those guys aren't even Jewish, right? Adam Sandler, <laughs> Martin Sheen, right? right. Um, casts from Friends, everybody. So this is like... The cast from Friends? Cast, cast members from Friends. Okay. Like, and everybody wow, that's a good... Right. Jeez, that was... Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean... Because, like, you know, in, in Los Angeles, Chabad's huge. I mean, you know, in major cities, they're huge. Um, and, you know, because they just have a global uh, reach. And so I bet they, like, they booked Bob. They just booked Bob Dylan for the Chabad Dylan. And he was probably like, sure, I'll do that. You know, they, I, I, I owe them one, you know, whatever, whatever the reason was. I mean, I don't know. Again, it's not necessarily canonical that he that they in fact got but like you uh, you know got him back to judaism um but like in on their website they have clips of all of their of the appearances of like you know the everybody loves raymond guys are talking about chabad like like sitting on the couch on the set like it's like so i think for them they yeah they advertised bob dylan you know that was probably a big year i bet it was yeah (laughs) i mean so that's interesting you said about that they have the cast of everybody's Raymond on their set. So obviously the, the telethon organizers knew how to make it easy to, to get these people. Cause it's like, right. they weren't going to make everybody. They're not going to make come there, come there right. and wait and whatever. And it's like, no, 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 we can, and, you know, we can just get, bring a, you know, have a camera record it there and we'll do a remote. That makes it really easy for big names to participate. So and, and like, and, and Rob, like, I, I just, I don't want to understate and maybe at this point I've already overstated it, but for, I'll speak for myself, but I, I also know this firsthand from from many Jews because my whole life is with Jewish people. Any kind of representation in mainstream is makes makes me feel seen. So, like you know, I have a whole. We've talked about this. Like, I have a whole podcast about rep, Jewish representation in comic books, right? So, like that that interest of mine certainly extends to the world, and so like the Jewishness of Bob Dylan, I find fascinating. What I don't like is like when an article will like try to like piece things together from lyrics and be like, see how Jewish he is. You know, um, I like when there's actual evidence of things like that. So anyway, for, you know, people watching the Chabad telethon for people for, you know, to see like, oh, wow, all these mainstream celebrities are like participating and giving their time and probably money to support it. I like that. You know, it feels good, you know, when you're in a group that isn't, uh, isn't always represented positively or at all, it, 
it feels good, you know, to be represented positive. So to like, I could imagine if I was a little kid or not a little kid, if I was like a young man who was a Bob Dylan fan and I'd recently, let's say, become religious and part of Chabad, and Chabad brought me to it. And um, I felt really grateful. And like, so I watched the telethon to support it. And I saw Bob Dylan was going to be on. That would be amazing to me. Yeah, you know, I would yeah, feel yeah. so represented. And, it, and, you know, Bob Dylan already, it's like, you know, the, the, there's all these like, you know, coffee table books, like the hundred uh, greatest Jewish celebrities, right? Like I, mm-hmm. you know, every bar mitzvah kid gets it as a gift. It's not a very good <laughs> gift, but you know, and Bob Dylan's like, you know, number two on it, right? You know, like he's, Wait, who's he's, number one? I don't know. God, you know, no, I, <laughs> Moses, uh, no, um, I guess Jesus would be. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, like, I actually don't know what number he is, but like, he, he's there, you know, Woody Allen, Bob Dylan. You know, I mean, Woody Allen's not such a great one to <laughs> his, have, his have rank has fallen a little way right, in the last couple right. of years. <laughs> but Bob Dylan's hasn't, and I don't know what it was like between 1979 and 1981 when he was in that Christian period. For and I haven't really talked to like older Dylan fans who are also Jewish about that period. I, that might have been really hard for Jewish fans of Bob Dylan. That might have been really hard for B.D. Zimmerman. I don't know. You know, mm. there's also, you know, there's a great, you know, there's a great theory that it was all a work, as we say, as they say in the wrestling business. Like it, like it wasn't real. He was, he had a new shtick and that was like this Christian thing. And he was, you know, while he was preaching, he was performing and like, you know, the, 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 you know, cause we always sort of wonder about Bob Dylan is all of this fake. And obviously when we talk, you know, shadow kingdom sort of spotlighted that like what's real, what's fake, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of like everything is professional wrestling, right? Like, is it, and is, is he, is it fake or is it real? And maybe the Christian period wasn't real. I don't know. So, um, but if it was, I imagine for many Jews, it probably was pretty painful. Um, like I could imagine back then if I had been like 20 years old when I was obsessed with Bob Dylan, or 25 years old, and he had, let's say he had gone back to Christianity in a very public way, that would have, that would have, that would have felt bad. Not that I don't respect people who are Christian and, you know, that as its own religion, but I'm saying like, you know, when you know Bob Dylan's Hebrew name and you know the name of the synagogue at which he was a member, um, you know, like, that's a weird period to think about the Christian period. And so here he is on the Chabad telethon doing a very overtly Christian song. All it's missing is the word Jesus in it. (laughs) It's weird. It's definitely weird. If you can forgive me for making this analogy, because I I recognize it's a ridiculous analogy, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Lay it on me. (laughs) Is, is when I was, you talk about, you know, feeling seen, you know, and then like, yeah, it was, it would be a big deal to, to kind of like lose Bob Dylan, to another religion when he was so famous and so renowned uh, for, for being who he was. When I was a kid, when I was a little kid, you didn't see anything related to comic books in popular culture. Right. Uh, and if you did, they were regarded as, uh, you know, literature for morons. You know, right. it was always a shorthand for someone whose brain pan is not, you know, very, not very deep. And so when I was a kid and I would see anything, that was related to a comic book that was treated with any sort of respect, I felt seen it, you know, and again, I don't mean to compare the two because one is a spiritual belief. And another one is just that I like to read Uh, funny books. I mean, but it's, but I mean, I'm sure you can relate. (laughs) Like literally in my house, I have two gigantic full bookshelves full of trade paperbacks, graphic novels, hardcovers, 
of which most of them I have in individual issue and digital. And my wife is like, why do you need all of these books? You don't read them all the time. And then I, I'll literally point to her gigantic bookshelves all, that are in multiple rooms in the house full of Jewish books, the entire Talmud, the sh- books called the Shulchan Aruch, books you haven't even heard, you know, heard of, different translations of the Bible, you know, this commentary and this commentary. Like, do you read those? And, to, you know, so to me, comic books are very much a uh, sort of religious experience. And so I definitely could understand that. And I definitely felt the same way about comic books growing up too. And like, even just, you know, that thing of like hiding a comic book behind your book in school. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you ever did that Mm -hmm. as a kid or your whole folder. I got busted for that from ages like seven to 17. And now my, you know, I I work in a school, I, um, I work in administration now, but when I was a teacher, my students read graphic novels. Like that's an amazing thing. And that's, you know, if that could have happened in, in, when I was a kid, I would have felt so seen in that very same way that when there's Jewish representation in popular culture, I feel seen. So I totally agree with the analogy and love it. And, right. and, I'm, I'm uh, glad it's not horrendously <laughs> offensive to no, compare not those to two me, things. Not, not to me, not to me. And, you know, for the, for the purpose of this podcast, I, you know, I, I, I hope people don't think I speak for all the Jews, but <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm your, I would, I'm probably Rob, I'm probably not your only Jewish friend, but I'm probably your most Jewish friend, right? Uh, I, I will have to look around, but quite possibly. Yes, I think so. I think yeah. so. So despite being from New Jersey, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Despite, um, the one other thing I, I, that I wanted to mention about this, this cover again, which I just, I just love it to death is, uh, I, I, when, if you think about that, this is a, a, perf- a soundtrack performance that basically just Bob and Tom and the, and the heartbreakers just bopping around and you got to think, man, what else is out there on these sound checks, oh, you know? I know, and it makes me think, good Lord, do a bootleg series of just sound checks. Right. I, mean, just... I know. <laughs> oh, oh my God. You know, bands are known for that, doing that all the time. But Bob Dylan's, I mean, have got to be, legendary especially when he plays with the others these other people you know like that tour wasn't a good tour neither was his tour with the grateful dead except it wasn't as bad as the album is right yeah and so could you imagine if like they would have just gone up there and done that kind of stuff and sort of like instead of like that doing that awkward thing where like for but just bob dylan it doesn't work when like other people play his songs with him it just it's sort of forced in a way like Obviously, the 30th anniversary concert is an exception, but they're again, they're not really with him. It's right, they're, they're by themselves, son, right? Yeah. So, like, it's just awkward when it's, and that's why the Grateful Dead one is awkward. And he's sort of doing Grateful Dead songs with them, it doesn't really work. Same thing with that Tom Petty tour. But I imagine if they had just played like Hank Williams, Woody Guthrie, traditional Elvis, whomever, you know, like, um, Bo Diddley, you know, just like blues, rock, country, how awesome would those concerts have been? Yeah. Yeah, you know, like that kind of stuff that he clearly likes playing, like the, you know, that the the Hallelujah, I'm ready to go on that entire tour from let's say, you know, '97 to 2000 or, or so, he was doing that. He was opening up every show with a different um, traditional tune like that, and 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 you could always tell he's having so much fun. Like, oh um, yeah, the first time I saw him in 2002 on the Love and Theft tour. He covered three songs that night. I thought that was a normal thing because I had never hmm. seen him before. He covered um, the the end of innocence, um, wow. brown sugar, and old man. 
And back then, <laughs> that was when Larry Campbell and Charlie Sexton were still singing the harmonies. So like, if you could imagine the chorus on Old Man with them singing, it was incredible. And you could just tell Bob was, you know how we can, we kind of like clock when Bob is clearly having fun on stage and it's like oh, usually sure, like yeah. a little smile. We'll have to, you know, ca- steal a little glimpse of a, of a, of a, of a smirk you know, or a foot wiggle. And it's like, oh, he was having fun on that one. You know, mm-hmm, we'll kick it apart mm-hmm. to death. But on those songs, you could tell he is just having a blast. So yeah, I wonder, I fantasize about that too. I would love a bootleg of that. Oh, be, be amazing stuff. So, well, all right, Henry, thank you for, for coming back to talk about, <laughs> thank God. This is, there's so much stuff back in the catalog. Yeah, I, Kind of like what I said earlier about how I think you, you think that Bob is free to be not Bob Dylan when he's covering a song. He did, all that weight is lifted off of him. Um, in a similar way, again, another horrible analogy I'm about to make, but like when I do an episode on a, a Dylan original, I want to make sure like we leave nothing on the table. Right. You know what I mean? Like I want, and it, that's hard to do because you think you've heard all the versions and then there's a bootleg series comes out a year later and you're like, oh great, here's nine more versions of the song <laughs> I didn't know existed. Then I, I have to completely recontextualize everything I said in the old episode. But when it's something like this, that's just like a cover of Bob having fun. I've been wanting to get to these kinds of songs. And I always feel like, God, you know, is that really like enough for a whole episode or something like that? But I'm trying to, I'm personally trying to loosen up a little and be like, no, talk about any Bob song you want to talk about. And <laughs> so thank you so much for, for coming on and talking about Thank God with me because like I, said, I just love this song and I really wanted to kind of do it justice in its, in its own way. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And I don't want to put you on the spot on your own show, but if you ever want to do an episode on the nine minute Chabad telethon performance, <laughs> Obviously, you're going to call me, but absolutely, I, I, I could. I mean, that could be a really fun thing because it's weird. If you ever want to do just some weird Bob stuff, all right, fair with enough. Your, with I'll, your very I'll, Jewish friend, I'll keep that in mind, and I will not try to pronounce. Uh, say it again. What is it? The... Uh, no, no, you can pronounce it. You can do it. Lubavitcher. Lubavitcher Chabad. Good and nice ch there. I know Thank that's you. not always easy for uh, my Gentile friends, but. <laughs> Uh, you didn't say Chabad and you didn't say Chabad. So very nice. Chabad. All right, thank That's you. Good. All right. You've been good. practicing your Chabad. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Uh, well, again, thank you so much. Henry. Why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Sure. You can find me. Uh, I have a podcast, as I mentioned before, called Funny They Don't Look Jewish, where my co-host uh, Rabbi Brandon Bernstein and I look at explicitly Jewish content in comics. And um, I am pleased to say that on our last episode about um, Adam Smasher, Nuklon, uh, we interviewed Jerry Ordway, and that'll be coming oh, out very man. soon. So perhaps even by the time this drops. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And you can find us at Jewish Comics Pod on both Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, just Google, if you Google Jewish Comics Pod, we're the first thing that comes up. And so we'd love to, you know, hear you and hear from you. Just as a little aside for those of you listening who are not comic book people, which I assume is most of you, uh, Jerry Ordway is one of the greatest guys ever to do it. One of the greatest (laughs) comic book artists ever to do it. So uh, that is an enormous get. And I'm very, I'm very proud of you that you got it. And I'm jealous that you got it because he was, he has always been one of my favorites. Thank you. He's, he's, he was a very, very, very sweet guy. So, and one of my, you know, it was like interviewing, you know, my comic book version of, my Bob Dylan, like he's my hero, you know, he and, yeah. he and, he and uh, one other guy are my, are my comic book heroes. So yeah, it was, it was great. And but you're my, artist. you're my podcast hero, Rob. All right. Okay. We're moving on. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, if you want to find back episodes of this show, go to our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Bob Dylan on any podcatcher of your choice. 
Uh, and if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krogh, George Doherty, and Joaquin Meckel for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So again, big thanks to Henry for coming by, and big thanks Thank to Steve Givens for stopping by and talking about uh, how we all ready to go on the first part of the show. That was an enormously fun conversation, and this was, again, this is an episode I've wanted to, to do for a while. So uh, big thanks to both of you for coming by and, and doing this with me. I really appreciate it. So that's going to do it, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will see you later. Bye. My career in the theatrical business, I've been honored to work with the greatest stars in show business, very few of which were identifiable with just one name, maybe Sinatra, maybe Presley, who I worked with, both of those guys, and a man who I'm going to introduce now, who's a personal friend, who presidents have quoted at their inaugurations, who I think is one of the genius geniuses that we've produced in this country, not just in the field of music, but a poet. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a friend and a legend in our time, the one and only Bob Dylan.